I appreciate everyone here choosing to spend the early evening practicing sitting in the middle of it all. We are in a field of, for so many millions, a field of anticipation and, and uh, desire and fear and all kinds of feelings and it's actually not such an easy thing to do as to stop in the middle of such an anticipatory time to keep quiet and look within and expect to be able to keep your seat. Um, but uh, So it does say something about your both maybe your need but also your your willingness to feel whatever that is uh, that's um, that may be going on with you. And the beauty of being able to sit with what is, however you're experiencing, is you, you can see that when there is attention uh, brought to whatever you're experiencing, kind attention, loving attention, that whatever you're experiencing becomes something that is uh, workable, something you can accommodate, something that is uh, in some ways just a feeling. Just a feeling. And the fact is, no matter what you're feeling, you're still here. That was my initial title for tonight. Still here. <laughs> no matter what. And no matter who you are, or what your desires are, or your fears, this place, this incarnation, you could say, being born into the plane of existence, this earth where we have consciousness and we have minds. Uh, this is the, the plane of existence where uh, no matter how marvelous you have it, there is dukkha. There are things that are hard to bear. That's definition of birth, leading cause of things that are difficult to ride. Difficult feelings to have, not always getting what you want, and not wanting what you get, and um, yeah, frustrated desire, wounded pride, um, and then all the the garden variety sickness, aging, dying, all that. So that comes with the territory. So we have to find a way if you want to have any sense of well-being. You have to find a way to, uh, to accommodate the fact that difficulties present themselves. And so that's why we practice. Because if you are born, it is also true that, the, that just rather than just the general kinds of dukkha, there are the, what we call the eight worldly winds that blow through each of our lives our lives collectively, our lives individually. What are the eight worldly wins? Gain and loss. So that's the first two. <laughs> Praise and blame. Fame and shame. Pleasure and pain. These winds blow, all eight blow through our lives. You can't avoid the loss the blame, the shame, the pain. You can't avoid it. It just comes with the territory. 
So I think just for me, having some perspective on this reality, it inoculates me a little bit against uh, anything that can happen tonight in particular. Um, and it just in, helps me incline toward trying to sit in the middle and see how I, see, see how I do. I got a little bit of unpleasant news before the sitting started. And it was, my heart was really sad. And you know, I don't know what the full breadth of everything is, but my heart was really sad. So I sat with sadness. I sat with feeling of loss. I sat with whatever, with the projection of wanting to, to know what was going on. And, and yet over time, each, each of things, each of these experiences met with as much openness and kindness as I could. It, it, the wave subsided and then there were periods of, of peace. Did, did that match your experience at all? You kind of just fell into it. And just a reminder that even in the, what was the, the Albert Camus, even in the midst of winter, he says, in the midst of winter, I realized that there was within me an invincible summer. There is a place where we can rest, regardless of the conditions. And just as we were starting to... to uh, I was starting to shuffle my papers. I stumbled on this, this uh, short passage from a Burmese teacher named Utejaniya that I thought was really useful for the, for the evening. He said, whatever you are experiencing in this moment is the right experience. There is no need to be happy or unhappy with what is happening. And there's no need to like or dislike the experience. Be happy that there is the knowing and awareness as this itself is already wholesome. So with that in mind, I thought that I would build just a short Dharma talk tonight around what I consider a very beautiful, maybe one of my most favorite and beautiful Dharma passages. And it's from the, uh, the great teacher Shantideva from, I think it's about the, I th think it's, it's over a thousand years ago. I mean, it's, he's the, the one who wrote the, the way of the Bodhisattva about how to live one's life, a Dharma life, awakening for, in dedication to, to all beings. And here's what Shantideva said. And I'd like to unpack this a little bit. I, and tonight was a rare night that I actually took notes on this, this passage so that... Um, that we could play with it a little bit. This is entitled, The Miracle of Awakening. As a blind man feels when he finds a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed at the miracle awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life, 
the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life, the bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life, the cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated, the sun that dispels darkness, the butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma, It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. So I love this first line. This miracle of awakening. I'm amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death. For me, the miracle of awakening is not such a grand thing. It's really the, the miracle of awakening to what I'm experiencing any moment. The difference in my experience when awareness arises to meet whatever I'm experiencing and how different that is than when I am simply carried along by some kind of uh, stream of reactivity, lost in my, fixated in what I want to happen, miserable about what's happening, and just caught in it. The moment awakening arises, this awareness arises to what I'm experiencing, not just a glancing acknowledgement, but a, a noticing, This is what's happening in my mind. What's happening in my mind is like this. That moment, that shift, is a kind of miracle. The miracle of, of, in some ways, the difference between bondage and freedom. Being carried along by the stream of distress to noticing it. That simple arising of mindful attention in any moment, turns that moment into the right experience. And the potential for the happiness, not for what you're experiencing, but the fact that you're noticing it. Because in that moment, the stickiness of that experience is lifted. The stickiness is really, I don't want this, I want this, this shouldn't be, it shouldn't happen to me the personalizing it, all of that ends in a moment of awakening to what you, to what's happening. And even if you notice in your mind, oh, I don't like this, I want this, it's all about me, once you notice that, even if you're personalizing it, that's, uh, there's a kind of miraculous shift in the power of that experience. So our mind habits are not easy at all. You know, we're really trained to be reactive, trained to be dependent on how things turn out, trained to, so trained to be caught a lot in greed and grasping, trained to be caught a lot in aversion to people, to things, to situations that I don't want. But all of that 
can be accommodated, it can be worked with and literally purified by that miracle of wakefulness, mindfulness directed to whatever it is that's happening. And you could say that that arising of awakening, the arising of mindfulness is a kind of grace. But it seems that only those who practice this habit tend to experience that kind of grace. So it's a, hopefully it's an inspiration to really discover this, the, the grace, the miracle of awakening rising in our consciousness. The second part, it is the nectar of immortality. that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us, I'll I'll stay with the the nectar of immortality. So when the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree, and he he, he experienced the miracle of awakening rising in his consciousness, and he tracked his mind in his body and, and was assaulted by the mental habits of doubt and fear and uh, desire and at the point where he could just sit and say, I, I see you Mara. Mara is the personification of those, those uh, habits in our mind that tend to uh, condition the, the view that we, that we don't deserve to be free, that we're, we should be doing something else, that this moment should be different than the way it is. He began to see that that's just a just a habit of mind, and it um, and he started to see that what was common to all the habits of mind, common to all the sensations, common to all the moods, common to all the expectations, as they arise and they fade. And the more he paid attention, the more he saw this reality of things coming and going and coming and going. And the more he saw the comings and going, the more there was a kind of relaxing of a, the reactivity. Just said, you can't, you can't cling to anything in this changing world. And as his mind became a little bit more free of that clinging and condemning, his mind relaxed and he fell into this kind of joy of, of equanimity. Uh, this kind of sitting right in the middle of life, but not moved by it, as that um, sometimes called the joy of equanimity or vipassana happiness. But then, as he sat in that that joy of equanimity, there was a flash of insight that came to him, and he realized that that. This whole show of mind and body were coming and going, but the, where, the awareness through which he was perceiving it was unshakable. And in a flash, he realized that the, the, the deepest nature of his own mind, the natural state of his own mind was unconditioned, also described as unborn, deathless. So you could easily translate that as immortal. Um, immovable. So immortal, um, 
may not be the, a word that resonates for you, but, but um, unconditioned. Uh, a well-being that does, seem, does not seem to depend on the conditions. Whether it's pleasure, pain, gain, loss, fame, shame. There is an element, the, the consciousness through which we're perceiving, untouched by whatever we're perceiving. When there's sadness, awareness of sad is not sad. Awareness of joy is not joyful. Awareness is untouched by what visits. All of us can know this to be true if we look within the nature of our mind, the, the nectar of immortality. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. As we unfurl our minds through the cultivation of mindful attention, as it, when we're aware, things open. If I'm not caught up in the idea of myself and I'm simply aware, I don't even experience myself as a person. I experience myself as a field of attention. Try it for a moment. Drop the idea of yourself and see what you experience on present evidence. There's a kind of presence, awareness. And what fills awareness? Everything and everyone. So if I come out of the, in a regular way, in a frequent way, come out of the tangle of my self-preoccupation, if I'm not so worried about myself, I naturally become filled with everything. And if I attune to this world, and I don't want to be too general about this, when, I, when I'm attuned to you, if I hang out with you a while, I care about you. And that caring about you is not something I do because somebody told me I should. It's something that emerges from a heart that is free of its usual preoccupations. Our attention brings affection. It's that simple. I, there's not one person here, if I really tuned into for long enough, that I wouldn't start to feel that kind of caring. So I no longer, in the moments of, of present attention, I no longer, if I don't consult my memory or the view I usually have about myself, I can no longer feel impoverished. It says lifting out of poverty to, to giving to life. It's just the natural effect of waking up. And it's not just for, for those who have material wealth. It's for anyone, anywhere, to awaken. It's not conditioned by your circumstances. Although, those who take their circumstances and condition their mind to be present, that's the paradox. The, this immortality, the unconditioned, is available as the natural state of your mind, but only those who tend to condition their minds tend to realize it. So, again, a, an inspiration at this time to wake up and give, 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 because boy, do we need it. And open your eyes to those who, who especially need it.
who, who don't, you know, nobody skates through life. That's what I started with. But there are those who have a lot more ease, a lot more privilege, who don't have to think about uh, their, the color of their skin or their, their um, you know, where they're going to sleep or how they're going to walk or... So their dukkha is pervasive. Dukkha is the word for unsatisfactoriness, pain. But, um, but there's such a, such a continuum for the, the measure of suffering that people have in their lives. And so our awakening helps, to, helps us not to be shrouded by our own ease or our own, our own, um, um, our own uh, differentness. It's the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life. You know, when I hear that word, the tree, I think in terms of stability. I think in terms of ground. I think in terms of the quiet heart. And one of my teachers once said to me, Spaciousness is true groundedness. It's another way of saying awareness is, is the ground. Everything that you are aware of in your life is in a state of insecurity, of flux. Every internal view we have about ourselves, it's changing all the time. We're inflated when somebody compliments us. We're deflated when somebody criticizes us. We're happy one moment, unhappy the next. Any role that we have is dependent on you know, who we're with. Some people could care less that I'm a meditation teacher. In some circles, I'm a big shot. In the next, I'm, a, I'm some kind of California hippie. You know, it's these, all of our different identities, everything about us is fundamentally insecure. The only thing that, is not, that we can ground ourselves in, the only thing that functions as a tree in our life, that gives us stability, is that immovable one within us. That capacity to know what's happening, to know what's happening when we're inflated to know what's happening when we're deflated that follows us through all of our ages and is unmoved by all of it sickness aging change of roles circumstances resources what is it that we can rely on what is the tree that gives us shade when we roam about scorched by life. It's the, it's the tree of attention mixed with kindness. And then finally, the, and then again, the, the brid, also the bridge that takes us across the stormy river, river of life. Just that, that capacity to rise above the, the, the currents 
that any moment that we wake up to where we are, we un, unstick. The word that the Buddha used was, was um, um, lokutra. Lokutra happy, sukha. Unstuck from the world, beyond the power and influence of the world, as opposed to also called the freedom, also called um, uh, the freedom that is free of hunger, as opposed to the worldly happiness that's constantly depending on conditions to be the way we want them. Pleasurable when we get what we want, but miserable when we don't. So rather than be dependent, we, we find that bridge that, that helps us ride above the waves. And then finally, the cool, well, actually not finally, we've got two more. The cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated. The face of when I show up for myself with presence and I understand whatever feeling may be arising, whatever circumstances may be arising, I can't help those circumstances from arising. They are conditioned by circumstances. I am the heir of karma that's both personal and non-personal, but whatever shows up right now is, is lawful. I can't help it. Nobody can help it. And when I, if I understand my condition with a wide view, the only way I can appropriately respond to what condition takes place in my mind or in my body or in the world around me, the only appropriate response is compassion, is caring. To judge it is, is, a, is an error. Um, to self-blame is an error. We are, the heir, we are the inheritor of circumstances and conditions. And those conditions are set in motion, um, you could say, in beginningless time. Everything that we do, think, say, is, is the result of causes and conditions set in motion long before we had a clue what was going on. So our judgment and criticism is misplaced. And the fact that we are so vulnerable to the conditions of our mind and body in the world, uh, the only appropriate response is kindness, caring. And so our caring, if I meet my upset with, a, with loving kindness, what happens? It's, it activates, you could say neurologically, it activates my vagal nerve and releases oxytocin in my brain and, I, and it simulates the sense of being parented kindly. But, but really, it's, it soothe, I'm soothed by compassion. I'm not soothed by criticism. I'm soothed by, um, by being held, not by being rejected. Finally, the sun that dispels darkness. That's so obvious. What we can see clearly becomes workable. What we're oblivious to is we, we, 
just keeps, keeps churning in our system, uh, causing us stress. So the butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It's a feast of joy to which all are invited. So I really wanted to speak mostly tonight about waking up to whatever we're experiencing. Whatever you're experiencing is the right experience. And that the appropriate response is both kindness to ourselves and to whoever tonight, and uh, the quality of, of equanimity, of balance. Because the worldly waves uh, will blow through our lives and, and it, makes, it, it does not help anyone to, um, to be caught in reactivity, but to be like the, the little duck. Who, maybe I'll read the little duck if I can find him. But just like the little duck, what does the little duck do when the world is heaving and the waves are high? What's the duck do? The duck just sits down in it. As it says in the poem, he reposes in the immediate as if it's infinity, which it is. He eases himself into the boundless, just where it touches him. And as the poet says, I like that little duck. He may not know much, but he has religion. (laughs) So may we all be little ducks this evening and cuddle in the swells, ease ourselves into the boundless, right where it touches us. Thanks for your attention, thanks for your generosity, and good luck. May all of our hearts be at ease, and may, uh, may the whole world um, be at peace. Thank you.